You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. What I want to do in the time that we have left is just talk about um, something that hopefully is familiar to some of you, but it's uh, something that I believe that we need to continually come back to in order to understand what God is calling us to as a church as we move forward. And to do that, I want to look in John chapter 15. And so if you will, turn to John 15 and uh, stand with me for the reading of God's word. And I just want to encourage you in this moment, take a deep breath, uh, send yourself in God's presence. He's here with us. We believe that the scripture is, is God's word to us. Uh, There's no way that I can cover every verse in uh, this chapter today, but I am going to read the first 17 verses, and and I believe that God might even in this moment speak to you in a very special and unique way um, that that maybe he wanted me to speak to you through the sermon. And So uh, don't skip past this. Ask God even right now as we read this, is there a phrase, is there a word, is there some word that you have for me right now just through reading this together? With that, we're going to start in verse 1, as I said, we'll read through verse 17. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me... And I and you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I've learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Let's pray one more time. Father, I thank you so much for those who are here today, and I pray that in our time together, the Holy Spirit, you'll take my best efforts And you will use this message, which is coming from your word, and you'll drive it deep into our hearts and transform us from the inside out for our good and your glory. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Vince Lombardi uh, was a legendary football coach, considered one of the greatest football coaches of all time. Actually, considered one of the greatest sports coaches of all time. And I've shared this with you before, but... Um, he's famous for at the beginning of every new football season at the first practice he would pull in the football team and he would say gentlemen this is a football keep in mind he's talking to professional athletes but he'd say gentlemen this is a football and he would go on to explain kind of you know what it is and about the game and and the reason he would do this is because Lombardi understood 
that you have to get the basics. Like it doesn't matter how talented you are or how passionate you are, how gifted you are or well-intentioned you are. If you don't understand the basics, if you don't understand the fundamentals, then you're going to forget the whole reason you came together in the first place. And the reason I share that is because likewise, as a church, if we forget the basics, if we forget the fundamentals, if we forget the main thing, like, like what is this all about? Like if we forget that, then we're going to forget why we came together nine years ago in the first place. And so what I want to do today is I want to, from John 15, help us to understand what exactly is it that we're trying to do here? I mean, in a world where two-thirds of churches right now are either stagnant or declining, in a place where it's so easy just to do digital church or church whenever it feels good or kind of as an accessory every now and then, I mean, why keep going after this thing? Why? Like, why do we continue? Like, 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 what is the main thing or things that Jesus is calling us to? That's what I want to see in our text today. I want to regroup and I want us to rebuild around Jesus' vision for the church, which comes right here from our text. And, and just to set the context for you, Jesus is about to be crucified. He's about to go to the cross. And so his... Time is very short with his disciples, and he understands what he says next is is very important. And what he wants to do, basically, is he's just going to show his disciples, and he's going to show us, again, the fundamental realities of what it means to follow him, the fundamental basic truths of what it means to actually be a Christian, to be a disciple of Jesus. And the very first thing he shares, and I believe the most important thing that we have to get today, is what Jesus wants us to see is that if we want to be his disciples— If we want to be a healthy and vibrant and life-giving church, then above anything else, we must commit to living life in the vine. Or, put another way, living life in Jesus. This is what Jesus is actually getting at in John 15, where he says, I am the vine, and you as my followers are the branches. Now, if you think about this metaphor, it's earthy and it's messy. And I love that because we are messy, right? People are much more like plants in a garden than we are like cogs in a machine. And because Jesus knows this is true, he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And then if you notice, there's one command he keeps giving us over and over. It comes up actually 10 times in just 11 verses. Did you catch it? He said, because I'm the vine, you are the branches, remain in me says it 10 times, remain in me. And the word that he uses for remain is the, is the Greek word meno, which can be translated remain, or it can be translated abide, or as Eugene Peterson puts it, to make your home in. That's what Jesus is after. He wants you to make your home in him. And notice, guys, what is the result if you will do this? You will, Jesus says, bear much fruit. No matter who you are or where you come from. In other words, what Jesus is saying is you can change. Like if you will abide in him, you will grow. You will bear fruit that he says in verse 8 will actually give glory to God and prove that you really are his disciples. And what kind of fruit is Jesus talking about here? Well, he's talking about the fruit of the spirit, which Paul unpacks for us in Galatians chapter 5. And I know y'all did a whole sermon series on this while I was gone on sabbatical. But, but just let me read this over you again. Like, hear this. Here's a promise from Scripture. Paul says, when you learn to abide in the vine, to walk with Christ, right, in the Spirit, he says this, verse 22, 
the fruit of that life, the fruit of the Spirit is love. I just want to stop right there for a moment and ask you this question. What is the greatest sign of spiritual maturity? Or here's a better way of asking it. How do you know if you're spiritually mature? Well, it's by love. It's it's by living in such a way where those closest to you would say, this is a person who's known for love. Jesus said uh, that that you could sum up the entire law in this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the sign of spiritual maturity. And by the way, if you want to know if you're really spiritually mature, you want to know what the mark is? It's not just loving people who are easy to love. It's also loving your enemies. It's loving people who aren't like you. It's loving people you would have never hung out with if it wasn't for Jesus. Jesus, or Paul says about Jesus that that God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. While we were doing nothing but rebelling against God, of basically flipping him off with our lifestyle, Jesus came and laid down his life for us. And Paul says, man, when you're abiding in the vine, like you can't muster this up in yourself, okay? But when you're learning to make your home in Jesus, this will become true of you. You will love others the way Christ has loved you. But then Paul goes on, he says, not only that, if you make your home in Jesus, if you remain in him, if you abide in him, he says, you'll be known for love and Galatians 5, right? You'll be known for joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Is there anybody here who'd be like, I don't want that life? Like that is a life that all of us want. And here's what you have to understand, guys. If we are going to be a church that is known for that kind of fruit, if you're going to live a life that is marked by that kind of fruit, it's not going to primarily come through good preaching. It's not going to come through, through certain programs. It's not going to come through a stellar band or a killer kids ministry, as good as all of that is. But the way that we grow is by abiding in the vine. It is only by an internal, personal relationship with Jesus that you can experience external change. That's what Jesus is getting at here. And that's why this is so important. Jesus says again in verse 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you will remain in me, abide in me, you will bear much fruit. But again, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. And just to make sure we, we get this image, I mean, I think we can put this on the screen for you. There is a vine that is coming out of the ground, and then you have branches coming from the vine, and from the branches are fruit. And how does the fruit appear? Does the fruit appear because the branches are just like, I'm going to try really hard to be loving, right? To produce fruit. I'm going to try really hard to produce love or to produce joy. To produce, is that what it's about? Like, no, how do we produce fruit? It's by simply staying connected to the vine. And as the vine pulls nutrients from the soil, living sap flows through the soil and into us. And then, bam, out pops the fruit. Which means, listen, guys, please hear me. The sole determining factor in how much fruit you bear in your life depends 100% on your connection to Jesus. And so if you have a good connection to Jesus, what's going to be the result? Good fruit. But if you have a poor connection to Jesus, what's going to be the result? Little to no fruit. And so what I want you to hear right out of the gate is this is not a challenge to go and do more stuff for Jesus. This is an invitation to live in relationship with Jesus. It's an invitation to not live off Jared Pickney's faith or a pastor's faith or a missional community leader's faith or your parents' faith, but for you 
to cultivate your own personal relationship with Jesus. And just to make sure that, that we don't miss this, look what Jesus goes on to say in verse 9. He says, man, this is what this is all about. Hey, he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, he says, look, just abide in my love. And then in this blockbuster statement in verse 15, he says, I no longer, I no longer call you servants. Like, like the goal is not just for you to go do a bunch of stuff for me. You're not just my servants. He says, but now, he says, I call you my friends. I call you my friends. If I could summarize John 15 in one phrase, it would be this, abiding friendship. Guys, that's what God is after with you. More than he wants you to go do stuff with him, he wants you to just be with him. He wants you to cultivate this friendship with him. More than he's after some sort of ever-increasing spiritual performance, he's after you deepening a relationship with him. Which is why in his final words before he goes to the cross, is the one thing I want to leave you with is this, abide in your friendship with me. Now, here's the question. How do we do that? How do we do that? Because Jesus isn't physically here. I mean, I can try to cultivate a relationship or a friendship with someone I can physically see or text or call. How do you do that with someone who you can't physically text or call? And, and we've talked a lot about this. I won't, be, you know, I won't elaborate on this. But you know, one way is certainly through spiritual disciplines. We've talked a lot about that, right? Like That's one way we abide in our friendship with Jesus, through things like memorizing and meditating on Scripture through things like persisting in prayer, engaging in public worship like we're doing right here, continuing these time-tested disciplines that, that people down throughout church history have used to abide in the friendship with God. That's certainly one very important way we abide in, in, in friendship with Jesus. But another way that we learn to abide in his love, and more explicitly we see in this text, is by obeying him. We don't like to talk a lot about that, but that's exactly what Jesus says in verse 10. If you go back and look at it, he says, if you keep my commands, what is the promise? Verse 10, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Now, what is Jesus saying here? To be clear, he's not saying that if you obey his commands, you will earn his love. But what he is saying is that if you obey his commands, you will remain in his love. Guys, this is very important. Because there are some of us in here who we don't feel the tangible love of God. And it's partly because we are running after things that are pulling us away from him. And, 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 and kind of one way that hopefully I can try to explain this, and this literally like came to me this morning while I was in my truck, and I found the picture on my phone, and I sent it to our, our team, and I said, hey, can you put this on the screen, and I'll try to explain it this way, but can you go ahead and throw the, there it is, that's me and my dog, that's Ranger. And, and I started thinking about this on the way uh, to the, the building this morning about verse 10. What does Jesus mean when he says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love? And the best way that I can explain it is like this. Every morning I wake up, I go walk with my dog around the block, and then he sits with me while I'm sitting in my chair, drinking my coffee, reading the Bible, okay? And, and you can't really, by the way, see it there, but I'm actually kind of like rubbing the side of his, his little body with my foot. And so I pet him and, and love on him and all that kind of stuff. Now, Ranger will sit by me every morning. But when we first started doing this, you know what happened? As soon as like he would see a cat or a dog or a person walk by, he would like jet and run away from me and run after these people. Eventually, like I called him back. No, Ranger, don't do that. No, don't go after. He started listening to my commands. And now he sits with me 
And as a result, he gets to experience in a tangible way every morning my love. Here's what I want you to see. The same is true of us. When you disobey God, you are running after things that cause you to leave the porch. God still loves you. I'm not saying you're like not in a relationship with him anymore. I'm not saying he doesn't care about you. But you've just removed yourself from a position where you can tangibly feel and experience the love of God. Does that make sense? And, and so the call this morning, guys, is not to go do more stuff. Just be with God. Some of you are like, Jared, the last time you preached, you called us sheep. Now you're calling us dogs. Like, what's next? Um, I'm not calling you dogs. That's where the, I guess the illustration breaks down a little bit. But this is the call, to sit with God, to remain, to, to just be in his love, to stop chasing after all the other things that he said to stop chasing after and to just be with him. And this happens through obedience. That's the way that we learn to tangibly experience his love. And I just want to say again, like, as clearly as I can, guys, listen, this is goal number one for our church. It is for you to take personally or to take seriously your own personal relationship with Jesus, your own abiding in the vine, abiding in his love. It's the first thing that Jesus says here, but he doesn't stop there. He says this is the first necessary step to our discipleship to him. But then he says if we're going to be the church that he wants us to be, not only do we need to live life in the vine, but we also need to be committed to living life in community. Say, Jared, where's that at? Verse 12, this command I give to you, we, as we abide together in God's love, he says, you are to love one another just as I have loved you. So we don't simply abide in the vine for our own personal enjoyment. We abide in the vine so that we can be a conduit of God's love into the lives of others. And you need to know today, listen, this is paramount to your growth. If you want to grow, you have to be in community with other people who are abiding in the vine. Uh, Michael Hendricks says it like this. It's somewhat of a lengthy quote. Hopefully you can, you can focus. It's, it's all good. He says this. And he's pulling a commentary from John 15. Um, the image of a vine and a branch is a clear picture of attachment. We have attachment to Jesus that bears fruit in our lives, right? Produces character change. He, right, talking about Jesus in John 15, presents a simple formula. Here's a, here's a simple formula. You ready? No attachment, no fruit. Through the Father's attachment to Jesus, divine love flows to us through our connection to the vine. He goes on to say this. Our attachment to Jesus does not dead end. The flow of divine sap courses through our attachment to each other. We see the stream of God's love spreading spiritual nutrition through our loving attachments from top to bottom. Our character then, don't miss this, is transformed through this flow of love as our communities then burst with fruit. Put another way, a lot more simply, what he's saying is, if you want to grow, if you want to be transformed, if you want to experience fruit in your life, if we are going to become the church Jesus intends for us to be, we must not only stay connected to Jesus, we must stay connected to community. Whether you're an introvert or you're an extrovert, whether you're young or you're old, whether you're rich or you're poor, educated, uneducated, to live the life God has called us to live, to be a people marked by the fruit of the Spirit, you need to know, listen, we cannot go with this thing alone. Like, we need each other. We need to commit to living life in Jesus and life in community. And honestly, guys, I think that this is probably what's hardest for us to believe out of this entire message. We are living in a culture right now, super busy, digital, 
individualistic culture that basically says, like, just do you, and you really don't need anybody but yourself. And we begin to believe this. And, and, and this has made it very difficult, I think, to actually follow the way of Jesus. Because as, as anthropologists tell us, in the first century world, Jesus lived in what was called a strong group society. And he expected us to do the same thing. And in a strong group society, uh, Bruce Molina, he's a New Testament scholar, he defines it like this. He says this, a strong group society, or in a strong group society, the person perceives himself or herself to be a member of a group and responsible to the group for his or her actions, destiny, career, uh, career development, and life in general. The individual person is embedded in the group and is free to do what he or she feels is right and necessary only if in accord with group norms and if the actions is the group's best interest. Listen to this last line. In a strong group society, the group takes priority over the individual member. Like, just replace that word group with the word church. And this is what you get. In a strong group society, the church takes priority over the individual member. Like, now, can we all agree that sounds a little bit crazy? Or am I the, am I the only one? Like, maybe, like, to me, that, that sounds a little bit crazy. And I would say that's because we live in what anthropologists refer to as a weak group society. And here's the definition of a weak group society. A weak group society is where the individual has priority over the group. It's a society where my desires and my preferences and my happiness is more important than the group that I am a part of. Guys, this is the air we breathe in America, but it actually goes against what Jesus and the writer in the New Testament say that the church is meant to be. We have to get this, guys. To be a child of God is at the same time to have brothers and sisters in that family. And Jesus, I, I mean, Paul's go-to metaphor was that, that we are brothers and sisters. Jesus, in, in places like Mark 3, he is clear that the vision for the church is not just that of a building or an event or some religious good that your family consumes, but his primary vision of the church is that of a family. And so the question that we asked nine years ago when we started, and the question we have to continue to ask is, what does a healthy family actually look like? What does it look like? And I think we are, if we're going to be a healthy family, we eat together. These are just a few things we eat together. I think we do spend time together. We worship together. We make decisions together. We love and encourage and forgive one another. We hold each other accountable. We share resources and responsibilities. And though at times we will disagree, times we will wound one another and hurt one another because we are family, we'll make a decision to stick together even whenever it gets difficult. This is Jesus' vision for the church, is that we will live as a strong group society, as a family, as an alternative community that reflects what his kingdom is like. And by the way, guys, like you understand like that's what we're practicing for, right? We're practicing for what life is like in the kingdom of God. And we're meant to show a picture to that to the world. And one of the ways that we do that is by learning how to live as a healthy, God-honoring family. I just want to ask you before I go any further, like, do you believe what I just said? Like, be honest about it. Like, do you believe Jesus' words that truly we are a family? Or if you can be honest, when you think of the church, do you think of it as a Sunday service? Do you think of it as a place where maybe there's 
programs here that just bless your family? Or do you think of it as as an event? And if that is what you think of, listen, like there's no judgment for me on that. Like seriously, I just want you to know that if that's what you think of when you think of the church, it's because you've been discipled by American Christianity. Like your view of the church is 100% normal, but it is not a vision of the church that came from Jesus and the writers of the New Testament. I read some stats recently from Barner Research. It said 41% of Christians right now believe that their spiritual life is entirely private. Additional 37% believe that they can be discipled and they can grow on their own. And I know that sounds really good, especially in a global pandemic, but guys, we have to continually be reminded that according to the scriptures, community is non-optional in our discipleship to Jesus. This is why the writer of Hebrews, when people were facing death, he said, do not neglect meeting together. Keep coming together. And a lot of this, the call this morning before we move on to our last and final point is if you're not in a missional community, I really want to encourage you to get in a missional community. And the way that you can do that is by grabbing a connect card and filling out on there you're interested in a missional community, leave it in a seat. We'll gather that and we'll love to, you know, I'll reach out to you personally or someone from our staff and we'll just help your family figure out like what would be a good fit for you. If you're here today and you're in a missional community, nine years later, listen, the call is this, stay in a missional community. And I know it's not easy, guys. I know it's not easy. I know it's messy. I know it's hard. I know there are times where I personally like want to give up. I want to call it quits. I don't feel like the people love me the way they should have. People, I don't know why, but they're still putting their hands in the chip bags, even in the middle of a global pandemic. That kind of stuff drives me crazy. I don't understand it. Is it really that hard to bring individually bag, you know, of chips, but whatever. Like, I, I get it. Like, man, there are a lot of weeks. Honestly, there's probably more weeks than not. Like, I'm tempted to be like, I think I'm just going to stay home today, you know? And, and, and man, I just want to encourage you to reject that. Keep showing up. This is the call in John 15, to live life in the vine, to live life in community. And finally, it's to live life on mission. Where do I get that from? Well, verse 16, Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Most of you know that Megan and I, when I was on sabbatical, started gardening. We had a 30 by 100 foot garden, and we would sell our produce at the farmer's market. And what you need to know is that every single plant that we had, every single fruit that we were able to sell, it all started in a greenhouse back in February. You saw a video, a little bit of us planting those seeds. That's what we were doing. We're planting seeds, and we put them in the greenhouse because in the middle of a harsh, cold winter, It provides a perfect environment for things to grow. And then that's my hope that the crossing church will be like a greenhouse. That in the middle of this cold and dark, violent, harsh world, that we will become a place where we can grow. We can become like seeds, Jesus Jesus says this, and that we will die. That's the invitation from Jesus, is all seeds have to die. But then when we die, we experience in him this life that begins to burst forth. And here in this culture that we can create, eventually we can develop a root system in Jesus that allows us to be planted out of the greenhouse and into the field. Why? So that people who are spiritually malnourished can taste and see how good God really is. Anybody else get excited about that other than me? I mean, like that's what we are here for. It is to perform good works and to proclaim the good news to people So they can discover that Jesus, guys, really is the only one who is going to give you peace in the midst of your suffering. 
There is no greater hope. Jesus is the one who gives us a a strong, solid identity. One that's not fragile and based on our performance. It is Jesus who helps us deal with our shame and our guilt and our fear. He is the one who helps us face the future, guys, with hope. No matter what is happening around us. This is what Jesus does for people who trust in him. Who turn from their sins and trust in his life, death, and resurrection. In Acts chapter 8, verse 8, which is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, it says that Philip went down and he proclaimed the gospel in Samaria. And as a result, it says there was joy in the city. The people received the gospel, and what was the result? Joy. In some ways, I was really embarrassed by what Luke did up here with the Oprah thing. (laughs) But in other ways, I thought, that's a picture of what Jesus can do for people. We don't think of Jesus in that way, do we? We think of Jesus as like, okay, like now I must like button up and I got to act just right. I got to talk this way and blah, 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 right? Like, but man, like when the real Jesus comes to town, there is a real joy. I'm not talking about like cheerleader, like rah, 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 like your team's getting beat by 40 and you're like, please, like shut up, we're getting killed, right? Like that's not what I mean by joy, but I just mean this deep-seated confidence and no matter what's happening, you know, it's going to be okay. Because I have God. And more importantly, he has me. Like, that's what Jesus does for us, guys. And because we have that joy, because we have experienced this ourselves, my hope is that we will reject this introspective spirituality. You know, when we started the church uh, you know, nine years ago, it's, it's crazy. I was talking to Jody Dillon about this last night. We went and watched Arkansas State play uh, against Memphis and and, and on the way back, we were talking about you know, the church and where we came from. And it's like, you know, when you start the church, it's like, dude, nobody shows up because it's cool. Nobody shows up because it's comfortable. Nobody shows up because like, there's some sort of killer ministry. Like, we didn't have any of that. And so like, when people first show up, like, they're 100% there to serve. Because there's nothing else you can do. It's like, there's nothing here. Like, we need you to help us live as pioneers. And there was something that was really hard about that, but also really beautiful. Because it built this like this team, this bond amongst us. We're like, man, we're locking arms and we're together in the mission of God. And what happens is, and it's not just us, it happens to all churches, is the longer you're together, the more the temptation is to go from being outward focused of like, man, we're in this joy mission with Jesus to where all of a sudden out becomes about like, how do we just meet our own personal needs? And, and I hope as a church that we will reject that. I hope that, yes, we'll have our needs met, that, yes, we will become healthier and happier, but not just for our sake, but so that, again, we can take the good news of the gospel to a world that is in desperate need of that good news. This is why our church exists. This is not Jared Pickney's vision, by the way. This is Jesus' vision. It's right here from the scriptures. It's life in the vine, life in community, and life on mission. That's what it means to be a part of the church that Jesus is building. This is the basics, guys. Like This is the football right here. Like this is the fundamentals we have to keep going back to. So I'll be planted the church nine years ago. And my, my prayer, and I know it's the prayer of our pastors, is that, man, more than ever over the next nine years, this is what we will give ourselves to.